Welcome to Healthcare Du Jour, where we dish up and digest the latest in healthcare. For the next 30 minutes, sit back as we bring you insight, commentary, and discussion on trending topics to the table, all expertly served up by our host and his guests. Healthcare Du Jour is brought to you by Carium, the telehealth platform enabling healthcare's digital transformation, helping you care for people within the fabric of their daily lives. Now here's your host, Matt Fisher. Welcome back, and thank you for joining as we dive into the hottest topics in healthcare. I'm your host, Matt Fisher. On the menu today is Andrew Mahler, Vice President of Privacy and Compliance at Clearwater Compliance. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Matt. I'm really, really happy to be here. So, Andrew, what I always like to do before getting to the main part of the conversation is to give my guests a chance to provide more of an introduction in terms of who they are and what they do. So the floor is yours. Sure. Thanks. Thanks, Matt. So I really started my career in this field, um, actually while I was in law school, I, I served as an intern for the Office for Civil Rights. I worked out of uh, the Atlanta office, which at the time was, was Region 4, and then spent a lot of time as an investigator there after law school and then worked on you know, lots and lots of uh, privacy, security, uh, breach notification, and, and some civil rights cases while I was there. Um, I, I then left and, and built privacy programs as a as a privacy officer and a uh, research compliance officer for uh, a number of universities and academic medical centers, and uh, and then landed with uh, with this company. And I've, I've been with uh, been with Synergistec, which was recently acquired by Clearwater, uh, about six years, and and have just really enjoyed the time that I've spent getting to know you know lots of different entities and and organizations over the years. So I know you just said you went to OCR kind of right out of school. Was, was it always your intention to get into healthcare or was it just a happy accident? It, it was. I had, um, prior to law school, I worked for a couple of years uh, for Blue Cross plans and worked specifically in, in the marketing department, helping to manage some of the regulatory issues around, around sales and marketing. And I knew at some point that I wanted to 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 really broaden what I was doing and and uh, you know issues like data protection, cybersecurity were were really starting to to gain a lot of traction. You know, this is this is probably 10, 15, you know, more years ago. And it was something that intellectually was just really, really interesting to me. So um yeah, it was it was always kind of in the cards, but but was uh was really thrilled with the opportunity to to work uh, work with OCR. It's, I mean, understanding it was probably you know a little bit of time ago, and then that you can't give away all the secrets. But you know, what was it like being on the inside of OCR, and kind of what did the investigations look like at that time? Sure, it, you know, when I was there, it was it was a bit more of of what you know I think people called the sort of voluntary compliance uh, mentality. There there weren't a lot of fines at that point, and and actually I worked on uh, the first million dollar uh, resolution agreement while I was there. So it was, you know, the the mentality, the enforcement, you know, approach was was shifting while I was there, and it was interesting to to be a part of that. Um, you know, I, I would say that you know many investigators, you know, you're really spending your days going through lots and lots of cases, um, and so you know, those of you who are listening who may you know who may have submitted a notice to OCR, may have received communication. You've probably experienced lots of communication gaps and and lengths of time in between communication, and and really that's that's because these investigators they're just they're usually overloaded and they have a backlog of of cases they're working through. So it was, you know, it we had a lot of fun. It was interesting. Um, really, you know, of course, served as a great you know foundation to really understand how some of these requirements and, and ethical issues get operationalized uh, by organizations and. 
And, uh, and, and, you know, I, again, had a good time while I was there and, and I was you know, also excited to, to, to go out in the field and, and start building on my own. So how did your experience at OCR influence your approach to designing and building privacy and security programs? Uh, it was, you know, influenced it, I would say, you know, very, very substantially. So, um, you know, I, I think, first of all, you know, really having an understanding of how the the uh, the rules and regulations are interpreted uh, by by investigators and and offices and by the agency itself, um, you know, is is certainly something that's very helpful, uh, you know, as is some of the foundational elements that that a regulatory entity is looking for when it investigates uh, an organization for noncompliance. So, you know, really coming into uh, organizations, especially those where we're helping to build programs or design programs, we're really thinking first, you know, what are some of the foundational aspects to, you know, to what makes a a privacy program uh, successful, uh, what makes it, you know, really impactful to the organization and, and really helps, uh, you know, helps protect the privacy and security of patients. And that's, you know, policies, procedures, training, all, all of those things. And kind of thinking about that, and you know, I think implicitly, although I don't know if we've said it explicitly, you know, we've, I think a lot of that, the discussion so far has been kind of focused upon HIPAA, mm-hmm. but, you know, on top of HIPAA or in conjunction with HIPAA, you know, what are some of the over, or, or overarching privacy principles that healthcare organizations should be paying attention to now? You know, that's a great question. Something that we're, you know, we're hearing more and more from from clients and I'm hearing more and more from my colleagues out in the field. Really, the way that I I sort of conceptualize this this question around, you know, data, protecting data, regulatory risks is I think about, you know, I think about data in terms of categories. Um, I think about organizations in terms of categories. So, you know, is the data, is this derived from a uh, you know, from a covered entity, is the data coming out of an EHR, um, or is the data coming, you know, from a consumer health perspective, you know, coming out of, you know, health apps, uh, health devices, um, you know, even websites, things like that, and, or is the data really derived from, you know, uh, I guess I would say warehouses or, or other sources that may not even be in the health space, but may have. Uh, may have health data. So in each of those categories, so again, you know, whether it's coming from, you know, an EHR, an EMR, coming from, you know, uh, devices uh, or coming from other sources, there's different types of regulatory requirements that apply and it, it can create a pretty complex patchwork for uh, for legal and compliance offices. And when you're talking about that patchwork, is it fair to say you're talking about a patchwork of varying federal and state laws? Yes, that's that's right. So HIPAA is is the, as you as you mentioned, HIPAA is is usually the you know preeminent, the prominent uh, rule and and uh, regulation that we're thinking about in this space. But you know, of course, we've seen the FTC uh, get get more involved in uh, in the space as well. You know, they've you know really looked at you know they've looked at this concept of you know unfair and deceptive trade practices, and and they've honed in on privacy policies. And really holding organizations to their privacy policies. Um, of course, then you have you know state law requirements. You have international law you know requirements, and and then an interesting you know I would say uh, it's not really a side law, but a but a, a side piece of the conversation is 21st Century Cures uh, Cures Act because there there are some some aspects uh, to, to how data is accessed and and disclosed uh, that that are certainly impacted by that as well. So. 
it really is a a number of uh, of larger rules that that are out there that we're thinking about. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point because you know you reference the 21st century cures and you know, the, kind of the information blocking regs in particular, where you know, I think as you're alluding to expanding access, but at the same time, you know, I remember as the those were being proposed and then finalized, there was concern: are they, you know, are the requirements in there in conflict with some of the privacy protections that HIPAA or um, you know, some of the other laws that you are referencing would call for. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, uh, you know, there are a number of, as you mentioned, information, the information blocking rule, there's a number of exceptions to that rule. And, and, uh, and some of those exceptions help guide decision-making about whether and how data can be released to people. And, uh, and of course, when you're thinking, you know, more broadly about data protection and privacy, you know, that, that type of access and disclosure uh, is certainly something that you know that that really is top of mind. Yeah, and kind of thinking about that that access and the exposure. You know, how has the growth of you know, I guess for a lack of a better way to call it, non traditional healthcare uh, entities or solutions, it kind of changed the discussion. I, you know, I think that you know, if if I assume you're talking about things like you know devices and health applications and 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 those those sorts of sources, is that is that sort of where you're headed? Matt. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, definitely. Like you know, like consumer wearables, or you know, a lot of those called you know virtual care solutions, where they're trying to get direct to consumer, sure. and are, I think, from their perspective, breaking the traditional uh, pathways and trying to make it easier. Um, but then, you know, from a, uh, I would say, a, a legal or compliance perspective, yes, they're breaking it, but they're breaking it by falling outside of the system where a lot of those regulations existed. Yeah, I, I think, you know, this is this is an important, um, you know, place in the discussion to, to really start thinking uh, a bit more uh, broadly about the ethics around, you know, data privacy and, and data protection, uh, because you're right. I mean, there's there are a lot of organizations and entities and, and applications that that are taking lots of information about our health and, and some of it's very sensitive. And those those entities, you know, they they may not have obligations under HIPAA. They may not even have obligations under under state law requirements. And um, and so they're they're really operating in what could be a bit of a gray area, at least in at least you know until we have some sort of a larger uh, you know privacy rule or, or law that that really helps bridge that gap. And so I think because of you know because you know, you know they're operating in some of these these more gray areas, we're really seeing a lot of people, uh, both consumers as well as you know organizations, thinking about the ethics uh, of the data collection and, and data disclosures. They're thinking about risks to reputation, um, and uh, as well as just really wanting to make sure that that information is secured. However, you you have you have other applications and, and companies out there that that are interested in collecting as much as they can and monetizing it and selling it, and it it really underscores the the importance that I, I think we've we've started to note over the years of an individual really taking ownership of of the data that they choose to to put out in the world. And as you're referencing the ethics, can you walk us through what some of the ethical considerations are and you know how that either differs or expand or yeah expands upon you know the legal requirements because I think it's you know at least from you know an attorney's standpoint or you know other places you understand that there is a divergence between ethics and law 
and that the ethical thing to do isn't always the legal thing to do and the legal thing to do isn't always the ethical thing to do. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it can be very complicated and it's going to, you know, it really is, is in the eye of the beholder. Right. And, uh, and it, there's, there's a lot of uh, room to grow and move within the ethics space. You know, I, I think people tend to think of it and, you know, at least in the data protection and, and cybersecurity spaces, you know, do do we really need to collect all of this data that we're collecting? You know, do we really want to? Because you know, maybe we're collecting data about people that's very sensitive. That that you know, even though we may not have certain legal or regulatory requirements, uh, can be damaging or harmful to people. Um, are there things that we can do as a as a company to protect and secure that data? Um, you know, so that you know, we're not inadvertently or even purposefully harming uh, our, you know, whether they are, are you know, consumers of people that, that purchase or participate in in our organization or, or technology. So it, it's it's really, you know, at least in my mind, it's really taking a holistic look at data and, and you're really asking questions like, you know, why do we need the data? What type of data do we really need? And are we collecting more data than we need? And does it do, does that data present unnecessary risk to people that that rely on our services? Yeah, no, I think as you're saying, it's, you know, don't just collect data because you can collect it, but take a step back and, you know, actually do a meaningful assessment of what your business model is and then build around that. Yeah, that's right. I think there's been a, you know, there was a, a period of time, you know, maybe 10 years ago um, where, I think especially uh, web-based companies were were really, you know, they were really coming at the market and saying, we want as much information about everybody as we possibly can get. And, you know, I think what, what many of those organizations have found over the, you know, the recent years is that that, you know, just collecting, you know, all of the data that they can collect, you know, often results in, 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 in harm, not just to people, but also to the organization. We're seeing more lawsuits. Uh, arise around data protection and 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 cybersecurity breach breach issues, and um, we're seeing organizations that that are starting to you know think a bit more strategically about uh, about the data they're collecting and what they're doing with it. Yeah, no, I think those are all very fair points. And for those of you just joining, I'm talking with Andrew Mahler uh, from Clearwater Compliance. We we're talking about kind of privacy concepts and ethics of privacy. And you know, kind of as we, you know, given the, that discussion around ethics and, you know, asking the question of do we need to be collecting all this data, you know, what should we actually collect and how should we protect it? You know, I think that's kind of a good way to pivot in a direction of, you know, what is arguably now the elephant in the room, which is how is how did the world change when it comes to privacy after the Supreme Court's decision in Dobbs? I, you know, I, I think it's we're, we're you know the the answer is still a bit unknown, but we certainly have seen um, conversations become incredibly activated. Um, I, I think before Dobbs, we we saw you know as, as part of the the legal and regulatory conversation, people saying, well, you know, we know that your personal data could be could be abused. You know, you could be harmed by data if it gets in the wrong hands. Or if you know bad actors get access to it, but we've seen courts and and others kind of struggle to to really understand you know what what really is the harm to people and and what could actually happen if if sensitive data gets into you know gets in the hands of 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 other people. I think the Dobbs decision has you know really highlighted 
um, some areas of that created a lot of anxiety for people uh, around data that may not be protected by HIPAA, but data that can be used, uh, you know, used to prosecute people potentially can be used to identify people and um, and and really make people uh, vulnerable and in, in, in within the health space and particularly related to to very very sensitive data. Yeah, and I guess kind of from that decision, what other misconceptions or you know, misunderstandings around protections that people thought existed, have you found kind of come to the fore and, you know, help to explain where privacy might not be as complete as might have been thought? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess I would even go, you know, even a little further back than Dobbs. And I think with with the, the COVID-19 pandemic, we we started to see the public become, a you know, a bit more educated about HIPAA because, you know, we, we had this sort of national conversation about whether or not you know, HIPAA applies in in certain circumstances related to to to, to you know COVID nineteen and and uh, treatment and diagnosis. You know, Dobbs, of course, is is you know has highlighted that again, um, and we're seeing you know questions about well, does does HIPAA really apply to certain types of data? Does HIPAA apply to certain you know um, reproductive health organizations and centers? And we're we're seeing people be a bit more you know think a bit more critically about you know, how their data is or isn't being protected. Um, you know, this, of course, has led into a very, a much more recent conversation around tracking technologies and uh, and how websites and applications are collecting data about us and, and how that data can be uh, used both uh, for, for, you know, for bad purposes, but it, it can also be used for permitted purposes, you know, like disclosing to law enforcement, disclosing, you know, data about people to, to others pursuant to a, a subpoena that, that could, that could actually harm people depending on, on the jurisdiction you're in and, uh, and, and where you reside. And, and that's a great point too, because it's for pretty much as long as HIPAA has existed, there has been that ability for law enforcement or, you know, in a lot of situations for health information to be used to disclose. And it's, yeah. you know, I also like the point that you made about the pandemic, you know, going to the start of it. Um, you know, I used to shake my head all the time because I would track HIPAA as a key word on Twitter. And, you know, it made my, you know, seeing comments on it would almost make my head hurt on a daily is probably not even frequent <laughs> enough. Uh, you know, but it's, but I think, uh, you know, also, brought around to, I think, as you said, it drove critical thinking about what are the protections in reality and what can be done to help improve it. Yeah, well, you, you mean, I mean, to, to your point, I, I was doing the same thing and and you were seeing people, uh, you know, engage in, in Twitter and, and social media posts about what HIPAA does and doesn't protect and people correcting other people and sometimes, cor- you know, trying to correct them, but, but, but providing bad or incorrect information. And we started to at least see some dialogue that you know, I think up until that point, you know, people knew about HIPAA and, and you know, you know, understood that it protects some type of medical information. But I think we had we had a bit more of a mass education. I, you know, I don't know if that education really, really settled in or not, but we certainly saw uh, more people talking about it then. And, and then after the Dobbs decision, uh, the anxiety just just really um really went through the roof. Yeah. No, I mean, I think the whole kind of conversation really reinforced how I always like to describe it. I would always call HIPAA the Miranda rights of healthcare, uh, where everyone's heard of it, but no one knows what it actually does. Yeah. It's a great way to put it, Matt. So, but thinking about the conversations that you were talking about, you know, where do you see the privacy discussion going? And, you know, 
what changes do you think could be implemented to either better or more appropriately reflect a lot of the concerns that you've been talking about, whether it's because of dogs or just the rise in the ethical thinking about privacy that we were talking about earlier? Yeah, I, I think there's a few ways that this, you know, this could be or, or you know, potentially will be addressed. Um, I think there's no question that that companies are already responding to some of the anxiety. I mean, we've we've seen, you know, Google has has agreed to to create some of these these areas. I think they're calling blackout areas around certain reproductive health care clinics where they're not tracking certain types of data about people. So we're seeing, you know, on the uh, on sort of the the organizations themselves trying to take some initiative to to respond to some of the anxiety that that exists, fears that exist around you know all of the data that Google has about us, for example. Um, I think we're we're also going to continue to see policy level discussions both at at the you know the federal and, and state level. Of course, we saw uh, we saw a good bit of headway. I mean, Matt, as you know, uh, last year. Uh, around a potential, you know, federal privacy law, um, and of course that that didn't didn't ultimately go anywhere. But we have we have the foundation uh, for uh, for further discussions, you know, during the next congressional session, and and uh, hoping that we'll see some some you know really thoughtful discussions at at, a, at both federal within and also within state legislatures around, you know, how organizations must protect and secure data and and what the you know what requirements exist around you know the collecting of certain types of data because again just kind of underscoring the point that I think we're talking about is that you know data you know health data in particular it's it, it's it can be very sensitive it can be very personal it, it can you know you know you can people can lose their jobs because information about their health gets disclosed they can lose you know, they can lose their insurance if if information gets disclosed. They can, you know, it can impact them in, in litigation hearings and uh, within, you know, custody discussions. And, and so there's a lot of a lot of harm that can be done when uh, when data, you know, gets into the hands. Again, we're not really even talking about malicious actors, but when data gets into the hands of, of just others in general and what others can can potentially do with it. So do you think there is any particular guiding principles that you'd like to see you know, considered as those discussions around policy occur? And, you know, as you alluded to in the last Congress, there were a couple of privacy bills and one seemed to be coming to the fore. You know, obviously the the kind of floor gets reset now, but you know, what, just from that broader policy perspective, what would you in an ideal world like to see help? drive better privacy protections or um, more aware uh, collection activities? Yeah. Um, I mean, it really, 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 it's like the million dollar question, right? It's, you know, there are so many things that that can and should be, should be done from my perspective. Um, you know, one, you know, one example is, is we have a number of, of agencies, you know, we talked about OCR earlier, we've mentioned at the FTC and, and, you know, certainly, you know, states have, have various uh, committees and, and, and offices stood up to protect data and, and, and really respond to breaches and incidents. But many of those agencies are really understaffed. They're really underfunded. And what that means is they're not, they're not really able to go out and, and do a lot of enforcement, uh, provide a lot of guidance and education, help people understand what, what is or isn't protected. So I would say just at a basic level, I, I would really like to see you know, more funding for, uh, for the agencies that exist now. 
I think we also have to think much, much more broadly about uh, about what data, you know, how data can be used to identify people and how data should be protected. So we need to be thinking much more holistically. You know, we have examples, you know, of course, like GDPR and 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 even examples like, you know, like what we're seeing in California with CCPA and now CPRA, where we have mandates to protect data that may fall outside of HIPAA that may not be PHI, but we have you know, we know we have mandates and, and requirements about how it has to be protected. So, you know, I, I think there's a lot of ways this can be addressed. Um, I, I think, unfortunately, we're, we're sort of beyond the point where, you know, uh, where we we don't need some sort of policy intervention, because I think it, we just have had so much time, you know, so much time has gone by where people have, people and organizations have just you know, you know, at least, at least in my opinion, have really skirted the ethical lines around uh, collecting and, and disclosing data about people. Yeah, and it's even beyond the concerns about the ethical stance of um, some of the practices. Just given some of the larger societal and, um, I, I guess, political factors that we were also talking about. You know, not having something that's just voluntary, but having clear. Um, legislative and uh, regulatory guidelines really kind of just a lot, you know, would hopefully prevent either side from trying to play games around it because there are there would then be guardrails that you know you can't get around. Yeah, I mean, there there really do need to be. I mean, I think guardrails is a great example, a great way to put it. Um, you, you know, we do need to have a framework where where people know, um, you know, know exactly what has to be protected and 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 secured, and they have to they have to know that if that isn't you know, protected and secured, that that there are going to be, you know, things are going to happen. There's there's going to be penalties or fines or corrective action plans. Um, because if, you know, and the FTC is is maybe a, a good example where, you know, I think people have have sort of conceptualized for a while that the FTC could could really do more in this space. And um, I think they're certainly moving in that direction. But you know, I think without having that, you know, that particular agency really activated there's uncertainty and uh, about what 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 needs to be done and what's going to happen if they don't do it right. So yeah, no, I, I think that's a, a great point. And you know, unfortunately, we're already almost out of time. So I'm just going to close with one final question, which is, sure. you know, what do you think is the biggest opportunity when it comes to privacy in the coming year? Um, I, I think we have we have a lot of opportunities that have been presented to us. Uh, I think you know w- one main opportunity that. That organizations have is is to really uh, really start considering um, thinking about data more holistically. Um, I think you know, especially in light of Dobbs and and some of the tracking technology discussions that have happened, um, it's it's going to be vital, and it is vital for, uh, for for organizations to be thinking very critically about uh, about what they're collecting and and how they're storing it. Um, and I, I think just in general, I think. From a personal perspective, I, I think we all have an opportunity individually to to think um, more critically and think a bit deeper about what we're what we are doing with our data, what we're turning over to 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 other you know companies and organizations, and and whether or not there are things that we can be doing to to, to really think a bit more critically about uh, about providing data to people about ourselves. Yeah, no, a lot of great food for thought for folks. And as I said, believe it or not, we are already out of time. I want to thank my guest, Andrew Mahler, for a great conversation today. Thanks, Matt. It really was a pleasure. And, you know, it, time went by very fast. So great talking with you. Yeah, no, and thank you to everyone listening. Keep the dialogue going and connect with me at hashtag HC 
D-E-J-U-R-E. I'm Matt Fisher. Until next time.